we've been in a series that we're calling Seeking God. We're taking a short break from our preaching series in Luke's gospel to explore and dig into the spiritual disciplines of the Christian life. And so if you were here last week, Pastor Adam preached an incredible sermon, helping us understand the value and the place of the spiritual disciplines and offered a very helpful definition uh, that described a spiritual discipline this way, if you remember. A spiritual discipline is a God-ordained, God-empowered practice that will draw you deeper in your relationship with Christ and your enjoyment of Christ. A practice that's God-ordained, God-empowered, that helps you grow in your enjoyment of an experience with Jesus. Now, of all of the spiritual disciplines, none is more centrally important to our lives than Scripture. In fact, it's so essential that if you omit regular Bible reading from your daily life, all other spiritual disciplines like solitude or silence or simplicity or fasting are emptied of power. And although nearly all follower of Christ would say that the Bible is essential to their spiritual growth and walk with the Lord, recent studies have shown that very few believers in our culture today open up the Bible on a regular basis. In fact, according to a survey conducted by LifeWay Research, it found that among 3,000 American Protestant churchgoers interviewed, only 19% profess to reading the Bible every day. Another 26% of the respondents said they read the Bible a few times a week casually. 14% said once a week. 22% said once a month, and 18% of churchgoers admitted to rarely or never opening the Bible on their own. Now, regardless of where you fall in those statistics, I want to tell you flat out at the beginning of this message that it is not my intention to guilt and shame you into spending time in God's word. Because with all of the spiritual disciplines, guilt and shame, feeling bad about ourselves, those are not the motivators that should draw us to to actually grow in our experience with Christ. And it won't lead to deeper enjoyment in Jesus. And trust me, I've tested that hypothesis. Reading the Bible out of sheer guilt, of feeling like I have to constantly, constantly read through the Bible cover to cover, as if that was in the Bible, that we have to read through the Bible cover to cover on this kind of breakneck pace. Back in Bible college, I went to Bible college in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, at Mid-America Christian University, where I met my wife. And on staff, one of the teachers, the eldest among the staff, his name was Brother Curtis. Brother Curtis loved the Lord, loved God's word, 
But when he would preach in chapel, he was a force of personality. All of the students, we would try to avoid chapel services where Brother Curtis preached. And the reason why, he only had one sermon. So if you heard one sermon that Brother Curtis preached, you heard all of the sermons. And the sermon went this way. Read the word, people. It's in the book. Read the word. And you can just tell, like, he's going to take his last breath just trying to make us at a Bible college on, in the belt buckle of the Bible belt telling people that they need to read the word more. And, and he loved the Lord. I loved Pastor Curtis. But when I would sit down sometimes to read the Bible, there was this little voice in the back of my head, read the word. And I never felt like I did enough Bible intake. And so I felt guilty. I felt, I felt ashamed. I felt like I wasn't measuring up. And so you need to know, regardless of how regularly you spend time in God's word, whether it's a regular part of your daily rhythm or whether you're sitting here today and you secretly wonder why someone would want to read a book that so many in our culture deem morally oppressive and out of tune with the times. Today, I want you to know that the Bible is infused with God's power to transform your life. And the Lord wants you to want to connect with him more deeply, more personally through regular Bible reading in your and so with that, we're going to do what we do every week here at River West. We're going to open God's word, and I believe he wants to speak a word to encourage you and guide you this morning. So if you would open to the New Testament, to 2 Timothy, what we're going to discover here this morning is the Apostle Paul wrote a letter of encouragement to a young leader named Timothy to help him ground his life in God's word. And we're going to read these words and draft encouragement and truth from our own, for our own lives today. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to jump in at verse 14 this morning. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. This is God's word. In order to fully appreciate what this passage has to say about the role scripture should play in our daily lives, it's first helpful to know a little bit of the context of the Apostle Paul's letter to Timothy. Those familiar with Paul's life and ministry, know that as he wrote what would become his last letter, 2 Timothy, he was imprisoned 
and he knew that his public execution date was imminent. So as Paul sits shackled in a dingy Roman prison cell, his thoughts keep circling back to a young man named Timothy. A young man that Paul met in the city of Lystra. Timothy came to faith in Christ, as did his mother, through the preaching of Paul's ministry that Jesus Christ was the long-awaited Jewish Messiah that fulfilled the scriptures. And as Timothy came to faith, grew in his faith, he grew to become Paul's traveling companion in gospel ministry. But over time, as Paul and Timothy traveled throughout Sharing Christ village to village, he became more than just a co-worker in the gospel. He became like a precious dear son to the apostle Paul. So as Paul sits there with his parchment and pen and writes out what would become his farewell letter, his last will and testament to this young leader that he loves, Over and over again, chapter by chapter, verse after verse, Paul reminds Timothy to keep his faith and his focus firmly fixed on God's inspired word. That's why in verse 15, we see that Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, remember, from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writing. And goes on and, and tells Timothy, throughout the letter, Timothy, you need to guard the word that has been entrusted to you. Timothy, you need to study the word so that you can rightly divide truth from error. Timothy, you need to preach the word always because the world needs to know about Jesus and how he fulfills all of the scriptures over and over and over again. Timothy says, Paul says to Timothy, the scriptures you grew up hearing about never forget the power of these words and cling to them. You know, but unlike Timothy, who was acquainted, Paul says, with the sacred writings from childhood, you and I are living in a time where fewer and fewer People are acquainted with the Bible. We're not living in the West right now in a biblically literate, Bible-acquainted society. We're becoming more and more illiterate and unacquainted with the Bible. And as a result, I know that for many of you here today, the idea of opening up the scriptures and reading them can feel intimidating and confusing. So today, what I want to do in our time together, first and foremost, is offer two reasons why Bible reading is worth the effort. Two reasons why reading the Bible is worth your time and effort. And after this, I want to share some practical suggestions how you can get the most out of your daily time in the scriptures. So two things this morning, why we read the Bible 
and then how to go about reading the Bible. So before delving into how to read the scriptures, first I want us to consider the two reasons why we should read the scriptures that Paul brings our attention to in this passage in his letter to Timothy. And reason number one is this. It's the divine nature of the scriptures. The divine nature of the scriptures. In verse 16, Paul says, all scripture, every word, every paragraph, every book, every psalm, every epistle, every Old Testament prophet, every command is breathed out by God. Now, what Paul is saying here in this verse about the nature of the scriptures is truly so staggering. It's so profound that we need to slow down and consider the implications of this truth claim that Paul makes here. In the book of Genesis, first book of the Bible, the biblical story begins with God speaking the world into existence out of nothing with his words. Word after word, let there be light and there is. With every good word that God breathes, the constellations and stars and suns and mountains and oceans and streams and skies and living creatures take shape and are called into being. Then, in God's most intimate act of creation, he speaks and breathes his own life into mankind. And we see this act of creation, God speaking, breathing life into humanity in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And pay attention to what in this passage God does with his word and breath. Genesis 2, 7, we read, Then the Lord formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. The God of the Bible is a God whose breath and words are teeming with life-giving, life-ordering, life-shaping power. And in the New Testament, as we read, we discover that this same speaking God, this God who breathes words and has the power to create everything out of nothing, who spoke all living things into existence and sustains them with his words, humbled himself and took on humanity in the person of Jesus Christ. That's why in John's retelling of the Genesis story, in his gospel letter, in chapter 1, verse 14, we read these famous words that the word incarnate, Jesus Christ, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
And we've been following Jesus, the Word made flesh, in the Gospel of Luke. And we've been seeing as Jesus went around, there were occasions where he would speak a word and the unexplainable would happen. He would see someone suffering from sickness their whole life, speak a word and they would be healed. We've seen Jesus speak a word to a raging sea and calm the wind and the waves with a word. Later on, a good friend of Christ, Lazarus, will pass away. And Jesus Christ, in learning that his friend had died, visited his grave, spoke to Lazarus and told him to come out. And with a word, a dead man rose up and walked out of a tomb. Now, if this same God who has the power to speak and shape galaxies and calm storms and raise dead people, if he wanted to speak to you, don't you think that deserves an audience? And he has spoken, not only to you and I, but but to mankind and humanity throughout history through his word. The Bible is not just a book. It's a book unlike any other book in human history because it is a God-breathed book. God-breathed book. Written by human authors, but inspired and breathed by the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're sitting here today wondering how that works, I could spend the next 30 minutes unpacking the divine human interplay of the scriptures and give you a history of the canon and how we got the Bible. And while that might be enlightening, and quite frankly, that would be fun for me, to actually talk about how the scriptures, as Peter says, are no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So this divine human interplay in the scriptures, although it would be informative, for me it would be fun. Actually, I believe there is another way that you can experience God speaking through the scriptures, and it is to come before the scriptures with an open heart and humbly asking the Lord who spoke the cosmos into existence with his breath and words to speak to you, to speak life-shaping, life-ordering words over your life. Which brings us to the second reason that we should read the Bible regularly. Reason number one is the divine nature of the scriptures. All scripture is God-breathed. Reason number two is the divine power of the scriptures. No other book has made a greater impact in history than the Bible No other book has been translated into more language, languages, than the scripture. No book has impacted the course of history more than the scriptures. And this truth was driven home for me 
last fall when I had the privilege of going to Washington, D.C. and visiting the Museum of the Bible. I think I have some pictures here. Uh, I, I got an invitation. A good friend of mine, Kevin Palau, invited myself and a handful of other local pastors here in Portland to a conference that was being hosted at the Museum of the Bible. And for three days, we got to spend our time in a 430,000 square foot building, eight stories high, filled with exhibits that quantified and communicated the story, history, and impact the scriptures have made. And it was overwhelming. Pictures will not do justice to how incredible it was to actually just book by book see the Bible visually, artistically represented. It was one of the coolest experiences of my life. Our tour guide was a guy named Ryan, where his own love of the scriptures and grasp of of history, of, of the canon, of how the Bible took shape, I mean, it was staggering. It was amazing. As he went around and he would show us in one place, he would say, this was Martin Luther's personal study Bible. And then he would tell us these stories about how Luther just loved the scriptures and how God used men and women throughout history to share the scriptures and how that changed the course of history in abolition movements, human rights movements throughout history, the good that has been accomplished because of God's breathed book. It was amazing. But the highlight for me, I saw lots of really, really stirring, incredible things. I mean, there's virtual reality, like rooms and unbelievable things. I think there's one more picture here. Look at this. Like, this room right here, it was broadcasting, projecting on the wall different languages with the characters of the scriptures on the walls. Just unbelievable beauty and power. But the highlight, hands down, was a moment when I got to have lunch, our group had lunch, at the Honey and Milk Cafe inside the Museum of the Bible. And our tour guide, Ryan, he just shared his own personal testimony of how his life had been changed by God's word. So he hadn't gone and learned the scriptures in seminary. He had studied law and his life had just shipwrecked. He talked about how he was just manically depressed. How his life had no sense of meaning. Now a friend of his invited him to church in a place through alpha classes. He came to faith in Christ, began studying the scriptures, realized deep love for the scriptures, and just out of his own personal study, just realized, I want other people to love the Bible. And so, in addition to practicing law, he just volunteers his time at the Museum of the Bible. It's amazing. Totally amazing. You know, folks, the best exhibit, the most telling exhibit of the power of God's word is your own heart and your own life that has been changed by the scriptures. That, that's the most convincing testimony of the power of God's word is a changed life. Changed life. No other book, friends, has the power to shape and reorder who you are like, like this one right here. 
the scriptures, God's word that has been preserved over history so that you could know about God's love in Christ for you. No other book holds a candle to the scriptures. According to Paul, the scriptures are infused with God's divine power to transform your life in three ways. If you're taking notes, here's how God's power is infused in the scriptures and released. Here's what God's power does. First and foremost, the scriptures have power to lead us to life in Jesus. They have the power to lead us to life in Christ, life in Jesus. That's why Paul tells Timothy the sacred writings, which is code word for the scriptures, are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, if you notice carefully, Paul doesn't just say that the scriptures were written to make us wise. Instead, he tells Timothy that they were written to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ. You see, if you hear anything today, this is the most important thing to understand. The scriptures, it's possible to read and study the scriptures and miss their divine purpose as they're infused with power to lead you to Jesus, to life and faith in Christ. Don't miss this. You can learn a lot about the scriptures, but their ultimate purpose is they're breathed by God to fill our sails and lead us to faith in Christ. And the religious leaders, thank you for the amen. You know, this is an amen-friendly zone, guys. Okay? Amen. The religious leaders, the Pharisees of Jesus' day, they missed the divine purpose of the scriptures. And that's why in John chapter 5, if you turn to the left, the last of the four gospel narratives, John's gospel, there's actually this exchange between Christ and the religious leaders where he critiques their approach to reading the Bible. Look at this. In verse verse 39, Jesus tells the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Zoe is the Greek word means a life that uniquely belongs to God. Purpose of the scriptures is to lead you to life, the life that belongs to God and can be available to you and I through Christ. Listen, friends, the central storyline of the Bible is not about us. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Thank you. I love the amens. Man. Spirit has fallen on some people here this morning. I love it. When we make the Bible about us, our morality, our piety, our priorities, our problems, our worldview, our perception of things sociologically, Bible reading becomes a lifeless, legalistic 
ritual that has no power to shape us into people that bear a resemblance to Jesus. But when we allow the scripture to reveal personally our need for a savior, to speak words of redemption and life and set us free from our sinful patterns, then the Bible comes alive. It becomes living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide our lives, to cut through the clutter in our lives and expose our true heart condition. There's no other book that will tell you the truth, truer than this one, around who God is, who you are, and how to experience the life you're so desperately searching for that I am so desperately searching for. Because it is only through the scriptures that we come to know and understand the gospel, the good news of salvation, that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, the word made flesh to suffer and die a humiliating death on a Roman cross to be laid in a grave, but then by God's divine power to burst the chains of death, rise victorious, and be seated at the right hand of God so that you and I could experience new life in his name. All of this is made possible because this God-breathed book is true. It's true. Secondly, they not only have power, the scriptures not only lead us to life in Christ, they have power to instruct and guide our daily lives. In fact, it's interesting that as Paul, back in our passage, in verse 16, as he's describing what scripture is profitable for, the first three words that Paul uses to describe the purpose of the Bible all have to do with instructing and guiding our lives. So in verse 16, we read, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. These are all guiding words to teach and instruct, to reproof or change the course that somebody is headed, to correct, they all have to do with guiding. You know, did you know the word that Paul uses for the scriptures in this passage, it's the Greek, Greek word graphe, where we get the word graph from, or other words like topography. And if you think about it, a helpful way to understand what the Bible is, is it is a map. I'm borrowing from an illustration from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis compared the scriptures to a map that charted the topography, the true condition of our soul, of our world, of human nature. The Bible is like a map. That's what it does, is it charts the topography of everything from our nature, to our relationships, to our vocation, the nature of God, 
It charts the topography and tells us the truth about everything. And so the truth is, is that God intends us to be taught and guided and corrected by going to his word as a trustworthy map for our lives. And I love that. But the truth is, we live in a world that offers us many maps that claim to help guide us into happiness, peace, love, and fulfillment that we're all searching for. So the real question is, what's your map? In the end, our paths in life and the trajectory of our lives will be shaped by the maps that we trust most. This truth was drilled home to me this week as I came upon a story, actually, of an explorer named George DeLong in 1879. DeLong and his crew on the USSS Jeanette were setting out in hope of discovering and claiming the North Pole for the United States of America. DeLong's plans were based on maps developed by the cartographers and map makers of his day. Map makers believed that there was an open polar ice-free sea teeming with marine life that, in quotes, waters could be smoothly sailed, much as one might sail across the Caribbean and the Mediterranean. Do you see a problem afoot with this voyage? Although every previous expedition and voyage that had sailed north or up into the Arctic had been unsuccessful, the maps of the day were not adjusted in time for DeLong's journey. So as they set out with their maps, it did not take long for DeLong and his crew to come to the sobering reality that they had trusted a faulty map. In September of 1879, the USS Jeanette was lodged in ice pack, forcing DeLong and his crew to abandon ship. Sadly, in the end, DeLong, along with the majority of his crew, died in the Arctic of starvation and cold, all because they trusted the wrong map. Sadly, all too often in life, it's not until we're shipwrecked that we fully realize the maps that we have trusted. Friends, can I tell you something? This map is trustworthy. When I consider where my life would be without this truth, calling me out of my own sinful obsession with my happiness. I would be such a different man. And my life has been so radically shaped by this word. And it has the power to guide your life and to take you 
into uncharted waters where God's promises and his peace will fulfill you and conform you into the image of Christ. There's just no better map that's worthy of your trust out there. Lastly, the scriptures not only have power to guide our daily lives, but they have the power also to train and equip us for the journey of following Christ. That's why Paul says, as he continues his explanation of what God's word is for, in verse 16, he says that it's for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Only the scriptures have the power to strip us of our faulty maps, to lead us out of our dead-end roads, and to lead us and equip us for a fulfilling life in Christ. So regardless of where you're at in your spiritual journey, I want to encourage you to make regular time to open up God's word and allow him to speak to you. You will be trained and equipped. It will not happen quickly, but you will be made complete. And God will give you everything that you need through his word to guide you in your life in Christ. And that's a promise directly from God himself, from his lips for your life. Now, what I'd like to do with the remainder of our time is just offer you six practical suggestions to help you get the most out of your time in God's word. Very simple. Suggestion number one is this. Don't overthink this. Just get started. If that sounds familiar, that's the same bit of wisdom that Pastor Adam shared that applies to all of the spiritual disciplines. But I think in particular with Bible reading, with just the the volume of translations available, Bible reading plans available, it's easy to feel overwhelmed, to not have a real bead on where to begin. Don't overthink this. Just get started with an open heart. Number two, Calendar a regular block of time in your day where you are alert, you're focused, and free from distractions. Here's what I've discovered. My calendar tells me the truth about my priorities. I love my wife, and I calendar regular time with her. I love my kids. I calendar regular time with them. If you want to know Jesus and you love Jesus, calendar and prioritize before life comes in, regular time in your day when you're alert and free of distraction to dig into his word. Number three, find a Bible reading plan that's suited for where you're at in your spiritual journey. Now with this, If you're just beginning to get acquainted with the Bible, you can really be helped by a Bible reading plan. Instead of playing Bible roulette and just opening up the word to the book of Ezekiel and going, why in the world is he laying on his side 
and cooking his food with dung. What is going on? Instead of doing that, I think you'll be better served by using a tool called a Bible reading plan. And there's many of them. Um, actually, if you have a device in your pocket, you may have an app that is just called Bible. The Bible app. It's a brown book with a cross on it. Um, that app is made uh, by a group called Uversion, connected to a church in Oklahoma City called Life Church, where my wife and I used to attend. Uh, the pastor and the staff there has made all of these resources available for free. And this, through this app, you can actually get access to hundreds of Bible reading plans. And if you need some counsel of where to begin or a plan that will help you from where you're at, reach out to us, and we would love to serve you by meeting with you and recommending a plan that will connect. If you have no idea where to begin, here's my advice. Start with the Gospel of Luke. As a community, we're reading through Luke's gospel together. We're studying it. Your hearing of the word on Sundays will be enriched if you actually take regular time to read deeply, chapter by chapter, these stories and just learning about who Jesus is and what he taught. So if you don't know where to begin, that would be my recommendation. Start with Luke's gospel. Number four. Don't get discouraged or hung up when you read something you don't understand. Just keep reading. Did you know that the Apostle Peter in his second letter actually at one point says some of the things that our brother Paul has written are difficult to understand? Let that sink in for a moment. Peter, who founded the church in Jerusalem, that wrote scripture said some of the things that Paul has written are difficult to understand. So if Peter had a hard time understanding the scriptures, it's okay if you struggle or don't understand everything. It's, it's a journey, folks. And so don't get discouraged or hung up. Before you read through a book of the Bible, I highly recommend that you actually use resources from the Bible Project. Um, they have made videos that actually help explain the big themes and some of the key themes biblically that influence and shape books. You can go online and all of those are free. An incredible resource that will help you dig deeper into the context and history of the scriptures. Number five, don't beat yourself up if you miss a day or fall behind. Just jump back into your reading. All of the scriptures, all of the spiritual discipline, including scripture reading, are habits of grace. If you fall behind, don't get overwhelmed. Don't beat yourself up. Just jump back in wherever you left off. And finally, and this is the big one, wherever you turn in the scriptures, every page is an invitation to encounter, to adore, to experience Jesus Christ. 